And it's recording now. Hi guys. Why aren't you saying anything, Adara? <laughs> what if we just made this entire episode you talking to yourself as though I'm <laughs> never here? <laughs> no. So okay. we're Dead Men Don't Podcast. I'm Kenzie. I'm Kenzie. <laughs> She's Adara. <laughs> oh, right. And that in the window is Bazzy. Yep. She's cleaning herself for about six hours every day. Maybe longer than that. She's dirty, so she needs a bath. What's a girl to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. She has to look her best <laughs> for all the sleeping she does. Yeah. And the playing she does while I'm asleep. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> okay, yeah. so today we are doing another full-length episode where we actually yes. went to a place again. Woo! We still do that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we are. We're doing it more regularly now. <laughs> yeah. So we went to Todd Morden Mills today. Yes, we did. Just yes, kind of showed up and hoped for the best. Yeah. Which is... The best happened. <laughs> showing up and hoping for the best is how I live my life. Yeah. So it was very on brand for us yeah. at this podcast. Minimal minimal planning to well, we went, we, went in, but... we went in blind. We didn't... Yeah. Like, we knew the place was haunted, but we didn't know the the stories or yeah. anything. It, we thought it would be interesting to just kind of walk through and yeah. experience it raw and then do all of our research and writing and conversations and everything after. I mean, that's pretty... That's better because then you don't have these, like, preconceived ideas in your head of what things have happened to people. And then you go into the room and you're like, oh, what's going to yeah. happen and to me? I like, think that specifically is a problem with... Any of these in general, mm-hmm. if you go into a place like this, if you're trying to figure out, like, if it's true or if it's not, when you go in with these preconceived notions of there is a ghost here or you already yeah. know the story behind it or what rooms are supposed to be haunted and everything, it's a lot easier to impress yourself upon the room yeah. and upon the building. And we already come into that problem with the weight of the history itself, which is something that we've talked about a lot before. Mm-hmm. So... It's hard to, you know, it's a psychological little yeah. block that we put up for ourselves and it's we can't really get past it, so. We went in blind this time. <laughs> okay, so Tom Morton Mills, can you tell us a little bit? Well, well, first of all, we were just going to walk around the site, but then we found out that we couldn't actually access in the buildings without doing a tour. Yeah, so we paid for a tour, mm-hmm. which if you visit the site... Highly recommend. Yeah. It's very informative and you get to go through the houses. Um, and it's not that expensive. It was $8 for an adult. Yeah. It's not bad at all. Yeah. So if you visit, ask for a tour. Yeah. It's really informative, not very expensive, and the site is really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And you get to walk through the houses. And who doesn't enjoy walking through old houses? Exactly. We had a lovely tour done by Athela and Jane. Mm-hmm. They led us through the two houses and gave us all of the historical information about how the houses are set up and the way these families lived or would have lived at the time or through the years that the site was active, at least. So we got kind of a, an image of many different years, like mm-hmm. 1800s all the way up to World War II. Yeah. This is unlike many places we've we visited where mm-hmm. it's multiple tenants. Yeah. There's not, like, I mean, there is kind of a main story of, like, when it started, but, like, after that, it's just, like, a lot of tenants for the house. So, mm-hmm. if it is haunted, you can't really tell 
who it might be. Yeah, so I guess we'll go through the history of the place and we'll probably intercut what I'm going to tell you with audio from our tour because she talked a lot about the houses themselves and the way these families would have lived, which is really interesting and I think Mm -hmm. we should keep that in. I'm just going to do a very, very, very abbreviated and generalized overview of the history of the founding of the mill. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So this not, I'm not going to do this well, but I'm going to attempt to frame it in a different way because, you know, the world of industry is in large part a world of men's legacies. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to kind of frame this a little bit around the badass and strong as hell woman that helped to found this. And I mean, it's speculation, but I get the impression from our histories in general that women of these times were particularly strong, but often left out of the narratives. Yeah. So because we have a little bit about this brewer's wife, I'm going to tell it a little bit from her side of it. So... Before we begin, I'm going to acknowledge my sources. I used three websites to collect what I had, as, as well as what we learned on site uh, during our tours and at the plaques. So the website is one website one was Toronto's Historical Plaques, so torontoplaques.com. I also used the Dictionary of Canadian Biography to get some information on Thomas Hallowell, and the Todd Morden and Walsden section in the rootsweb.com website that is sponsored by Ancestry.com. So that's where all of this information comes from if you want to go look it up yourself. Cool. And I'll insert it in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. Yes. Um, So Sarah Lord of Little Knoll in (laughs) St. Chad's Rochdale married Thomas Hallowell in June of uh, 1791. I almost said 1971. That would have been incorrect. (laughs) But I cannot read numbers very well. (laughs) They lived at Hill House for the next few years, having two children there, before moving to Houston Farm, where they had five more children. All of this in the Rochdale area. Um, for those of you keeping track at home, that's seven children between the years of 1792 and 1817. So after selling his property in Todd Morton, Thomas clandestinely moved by way of Sutherland to Quebec in April of 1818. He had to do it kind of secretly because men at the time, like skilled men at the time, were not allowed to emigrate out of England into Canada. They wanted to keep skills you know, if you have a skill, you cannot leave the country because the country needs your skill kind of thing. Okay. So Thomas went ahead of Sarah and the children in order to establish a home for them and acquire the goods needed to build a general store. Um, but while Thomas was gallivanting around Montreal, Sarah packed up her kids and went the quicker way to Canada by way of Liverpool to New York. At this point, the ages of the children were 21, 20, 15, 7, and 1. So the eldest son stayed behind to tidy up some business and would join the following year while the eldest daughter was already in Niagara with her husband. Okay. So Sarah joined her daughter and son-in-law in Niagara and William, who is a main player later in the story, he wrote about the journey in his extensive diaries. So I have a very extended journal entry here that I'm going to read and you can cut down. Like, okay. <clears throat> why are you laughing? Oh, it's just like you were scrolling a lot. So I was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so you can cut this down, but I'm just going to read it all. So this is his journal entry about his journey when he he was seven years old when they did this journey. So this is his memory of the journey that they took. Okay, by the way, before you start, I just want to say, Todd Morton Mills is in Toronto, guys. (laughs) Yeah, Todd Morton is a city in the UK or a town or whatever. They named the mills after where they came from. Mm -hmm. Which is in East York in Toronto. So, 
When I was seven years old in the year 1818, my father emigrated to Canada, bringing all the family with him, or rather following after him as he sailed from the port of Sunderland to April for Quebec and the family from Liverpool in June for New York. Mr. Eastwood had come to the preceding year and after traveling about considerably had fixed upon the vicinity of Niagara Falls as a desirable place to bring his family. On leaving the port of Liverpool, our vessel, the Alviona of Portland, I butchered that name by the way, it's okay. 400 tons registered, got out of the channel and ran aground and when the tide went out we were left high and dry for a quarter of a mile or more from the river. The sailors and some of the passengers got down onto the sand, carried the anchor a good distance from the ship so that when the tide came in, they could have a purchase to pull her off, and after some difficulty, they succeeded in doing so. On sounding the pumps, it was found that she was making water fast. The crew remonstrated with the captain and refused to go to sea with the ship in that condition, so the captain was constrained to return to Liverpool and put her on the dry dock for repairs, which detained us for several days some of the passengers refusing to continue the voyage in that ship. After knocking about the ocean for seven weeks, we were taken to the port of Portland, through the, though the ship had cleared from Liverpool to New York. Here we were deta detained more time until a vessel could be found to take us to New York, which however left us in Perth Abney, where we were obliged to get another vessel to bring us to New York. This journey took us nearly three weeks. Here we shipped on a board on board a Lake Ontario schooner to Lewiston and Niagara River and had a most tempestuous and dangerous voyage of four days. Arrived at Lewiston on the 12th day of August and on the following day were ferried over the river to Queenston, on which day an elephant was on exhibition, the first I believe in Canada, and was viewed by great crowds. From thence we proceeded to Lundy's Lane where my brother-in-law John Eastwood had rented a house for us as my father was in that at that time in Montreal purchasing goods to open a store. So as we can tell from that diary entry from William it was a horribly long yeah and journey journey and full of difficulties. I mean their ship ran aground almost as soon as it left port the first time and they were stranded there. And you you've seen anchors, right? You know what a ship's anchor looks like and how yeah. big and heavy it is. Yeah. And they had to carry it out. <laughs> like, Jeez. So it was just a horrible, horrible journey. I that... have to look up what clandestinely meant <laughs> when you were typing. I do have to say that in my notes, <laughs> that's where I put, Kenzie will ask what clandestinely really? means. <laughs> it says in a secretive and illicit way. Yes. Okay. So I'm glad I know what that is. <laughs> That's the word? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it, too. That's really funny. Okay. So Sarah, of course, through all of this, maintained the strong determination of the woman of her family, not wavering in the face of any obstacles and remaining a steady rock for her family in the absence of her husband, still delayed in Montreal. Her take-what-comes attitude told her that if something happened to her husband on the trip... She, of course, had several grown sons and a son-in-law that could take his place and care for them wow. in Canada. After the arrival of Thomas, eventually he did show up in Niagara with all of his Montreal goods and probably complaining about how long it took. Yeah. They decided that the brewery business would be more profitable than the general store that he wanted to open, since the workers there were heavy drinkers. Uh, I mean, like, workers general are heavy drinkers. Mm -hmm. My words, not theirs. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's safe to assume that the reason was because <coughs> it was a profitable business. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, at that time, beer was a safe and nutritious alternative to water, especially the water in that area. Right. Um, from, like, the streams and lakes of the river, because, like, just because it's fresh doesn't mean it's safe to drink. Like, right. our, like the tour guide uh, said. Yeah. 
Um, the reason they were, uh, they could keep ice even in the summer. They would cut it from Lake Simcoe in the winter, and then they would keep it packed in straw and sawdust, and it would last all summer. Wow. And the reason they were getting it from Lake Simcoe is because even by the 1880s, water in Toronto was already deemed too polluted. <laughs> wow. Which is sad. <laughs> Love the city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They moved the family, Les William, he stayed behind in Niagara to attend school, but they moved the family to what is now the site of Todd Morton Mills. So just to highlight how bad the natural living conditions were there, I'm going to read an excerpt from the Roots Web outline of the history of the site. The area was marshy, the steep valley was very difficult to access, especially after rain, and how the workers got in and out in the icy winters is anybody's guess. There was also the hazard of wild animals, and they encountered deer, bears, and wolves, all free and at large. In fact, a pack of wolves... <laughs> In fact, a pack of wolves killed a dozen of their sheep on their very doorstep, so life was not easy with the animals, the climate, and diseases such as cholera and smallpox to contend with. And yes, the animals were at large, I'm like criminals. Animals were at large, loose, wild. <laughs> There's wanted posters <laughs> of specific bears and wolves yeah. up on the trees. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> but they put their heads down and worked through and against all of these hardships, and they managed to utilize their proximity to the good and forceful water of the Don River and build their gristmill brewery and the malt house. So, go to go back to Sarah... When Thomas Sr. died in 1823, uh, spoiler alert, all of these people are dead, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he left Sarah in charge of running the business along with his five sons, who would each get a share of it when they came to age at 21. Although the sons were a large part in the physicality of running the business, Sarah, by all accounts, was the force that kept it afloat. Her sons respected her position as the businesswoman and the head of the family within the firm, and she was very well versed in the trade. Sarah's life had brought her from a childhood on a farm in Walston to a marriage that sent her on a great adventure after the birth of seven children across the sea to Canada, the move to Don Valley, and the death of her husband, leaving her in charge of the business they had built nearly as a family. Sarah died on July 20th, 1842, leaving the land and equal brewery shares to her three sons. So William Hallowell, being the highest educated and most astute of the brothers, became a partner in the brewery in 1832 once he had attained his 21 years. Was he one of the bearded guys? He was the bearded guy. There was two. There, there was two, there was... but like he's like one of the... It's like him and the in-law, yeah. I believe, are the ones that ran it. Oh, okay. You can intercut her dialogue yeah. there. This building is one of the oldest buildings on the site. It's what's left of a brewery that was here. A brewery that was started in the early 1820s by a family called the Hallowell family. And they came from northern England in a town called Todmorden. And they named this area Todmorden Mills after their hometown. So these two men here, uh, these are the sons of the man who started the brewery. This is William Hallowell. They took over from their father when their father died. Uh, and the first house we're going to go into was built for him in 1838. This picture here is actually what the building originally looked like. So this building is gone, this building is gone. And what we're looking at is actually just the second story of this building. Here? Yeah, right okay. here. So when it was in the early 20th century, there was a lot of flooding in the area and they actually put a bunch of infill in here and they just buried the whole first floor. Oh, um, it wasn't good. being used at that point, so they just buried it. it there's, you can't get down, there's no secret basement. It's completely covered. But a few years ago, they did some excavations about 18 feet down and they found the original foundation. Oh, wow. So that's all that's left of the brewery. Inside, that building is totally renovated. We use it for school programs, um, so we don't go in there, but... Hmm. 
I love solutions that include just very yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, just burying our problems. <laughs> well, when you see pictures of this building, like, before it was a museum, it's, like, yeah. totally derelict. Oh, really? like, it's, oh. like, it was in pretty bad shape. After he came of age, he was sent to England to learn the trade from the maltsters there and announced that, though he was born there originally and was only seven when they came to Canada, his return to England did not impress him. <laughs> he thought the place was small and insignificant, not living up to childhood memories of it, all of which are detailed in his extensive diaries. <laughs> wow, get wrecked. Right? <laughs> so William married Elizabeth Bright in 1834. They had four daughters and two sons. They built a house near the brewery that was not finished until 1838, and he became a captain in the North York militia in that same year. Elizabeth died young in 1843, leaving him with six children. And, I mean, understandably hard for a single father in, 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 in an industrial age to raise six children on his mm -hmm. own. I'm not saying that it was neglect that this happened, but um, the next year... In a horrible accident, the youngest son drowned in the mill race, 1844, only one year after the death of his mother. So mm -hmm. again, for those keeping track at home, we're finding William here in a very bad little trio of years. 1842 is the death of his mother, Sarah. 1843, the death of his wife, Elizabeth. And 1844, the death of his youngest son. So with six children under the age of nine to raise on his own, he employed Jane Bright, his sister-in-law, as the housekeeper. Um, powered by the knowledge that he could save the wages of paying a housekeeper simply by marrying her instead of employing her, William and Jane were wed in 1844, after which Jane spawned 11 more children for him. Wow. 18 I kids. I mean, that was the men <laughs> mentality, though. They're like, we just got to make them and, and yeah, we'll see. Put them see to work. Who, it's who, free labor. Free labor. And if one of them dies, there's Maybe another there's one. There's a backup <laughs> just to step up and take his place. God. Yeah. That's the plot of... Um, a Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Oh. Well, not not exactly, but, like, this guy finds out that he could be heir. Like, he's, he's like, what, ninth or tenth in line for the family fortune, so okay. he kills all of his relatives in, <laughs> in ascending order. Oh, my God. It's a hilarious musical. You should listen to it. <laughs> anyway, the next few years would be rough and would lead to the eventual downfall of the Hallowell connection to Todd Morden. An unknown person placed hot ashes in a wooden container next to the brewery in 1847, which started a disastrous fire that burned down a large portion of the building. They never rebuilt, and the partnership that kept the brewery running was dissolved, and the remaining properties and money were divided equally between the two men. Insurance loss was huge, and William took the land that his father had bought in Highland Creek, rather than stay in Don Valley. Eventually, the brothers decided to sell their interests in the Don Valley, and the mills were passed into the hands of the Taylor family, and that's where the Hallowell connection ends. After that, it was turned into the heritage site. Mm, like, kind of later, later. Jerk. Put stupid coals near a house. Is, this <laughs> the, is it the Toronto arsonist? Like, <laughs> how? Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's so much, I mean, there's so much history connected to a lot of this in Toronto, but like by 1830, their brewery complex dwarfed the paper mill that they even mm -hmm. had that we saw. And the building itself was like multi-storied, again, which we talked about, where they had to bury the lower story yeah. because of flooding, I think it was. Yeah, there's flooding in the valley. I also just love that William Hallowell kept so many extensive diaries, and I couldn't find the actual diaries themselves. They appear to like not have been digitized, or at least mm -hmm. not in an area that I have access to through my U of T connection or any like public access. But the excerpts that I could find are very charming, including many entries that detail walks he went on with his wife. 
and things he saw in the city of Toronto. Like, from what I can tell, the journals themselves, like, paint a picture of the city in the midst of growth. Mm -hmm. Very active, building up and out, establishing the bases of the city as we know it today. I really want to read all of it, so if anybody knows of OA to get me access to it, I would love to. I just, I, I also, like... Even in that excerpt that I read you about their trip, he he paused in the trip in the like description of all the disaster that they were facing to say that there was an elephant, the first in Canada, that was attracting present. <laughs> that is so cute. It's just really cute. You could love- check. Could you check Toronto Reference Library? Because that's where I found John Howard's diaries. Maybe you could check there. Yeah, Toronto Reference Library is really cool, guys. If you sh- you should go if you haven't been there yet when i say i couldn't find anything i didn't do an extensive search yeah i basically looked but like online of tea. Yeah. yeah yeah i'm gonna try to find them because like i just i love reading diaries of people mm-hmm. except john Howard's wasn't as fun because he wasn't like an extensive writer yeah so he did like what he did each day so oh yeah like, it's just a list it was Thursday. like if franklin had a diary <laughs> yeah <laughs> you guys don't know franklin but he's He's a he's a person. <laughs> he's a human that exists. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that's what I have for the history of okay. the of the site. So that's the real history behind the site. But what about the ghost stories? Okay. So before I insert Ethel's little recount of ghost stories, I'm gonna do a little bit of what some people have posted online first. So first, I only did two sites, but the most prominent ones was Toronto.com and TorontoGhost.org, which is a site we use a lot for ghost stories because mm-hmm. it allows people to put in their encounters and things like that for like all the haunted places in Toronto. So I'm first going to start with Toronto.com. It's just a very brief of, of what some people have said, and then I'll dive into more personal stories. So from Toronto.com, Todd Morton Mills is a historic site that dates back to the 18th century. As Adara has said, Todd Morton may have at least one permanent resident, the spirit of an elderly lady who walks through paper mill theater late at night. Other buildings on the site have been reported to be haunted by a younger woman who died in childbirth and her son who perished in a gory mill accident. So that's the reason I asked you how old the lady was. Well, that would be that would be who it is. So yeah. 1942 is Sarah, 1943 was Elizabeth, and 1944 was the so son. three all three of them. So that's the mm-hmm. three ghosts. We have yeah. the son, we have the mother, and we have Sarah, the, mm-hmm. the older woman that died. So that's just a brief little summary. Then TorontoGhosts.org, we have some personal stories, mostly from historical interpreters and people that have worked at Todd Morden Mills. So this one, Todd Morden Mills housed a theater where this particular writer for this entry volunteered. Um, They said they themselves have never really experienced anything unusual, but she has a couple stories from people who work there and they say they swear it's haunted. There is an old woman that seems pretty harmless and friendly who walks through the theater late at night. And there's also the sounds of moving furniture or props that can be heard in the loft places late at night. This is also in the theater. People in the sound booth above the audience say a gray figure flashes past the windows overlooking the stage. And that's just kind of what they, the theater people say that they have encountered. And then there's a way more personal one that this girl went, I don't really know this girl. They read really, <laughs> really into it. So this person 
was a volunteer and historical interpreter from the age of 8 to 14 at Todd Morden Mills. So I was just a volunteer and then later, whatever, I was like, that's really young. That's like, my parents would not let me go do that kind of thing. That's kind of cool. They say that one of the houses on the site, the Hallowell House, is haunted. They say, quote, When I was about 12, I was volunteering to close one night. The curator sent me to the house to get a broom. It was getting dark. As I approached the house, my flashlight died. Ironic, no? I was able to unlock the door and I stepped into the kitchen, reaching for the broom. As I did this, I heard up the maid's staircase from the master bedroom, the soft voice of a woman speaking. It sounded like she was speaking to a child. I couldn't make out what she was saying, though. I froze. I had never been more terrified. I also remember it being very unusually cold. The research that I have done on the topic since explained this. Anyway, I ran out of the house and back to the main building. I haven't been in the building since. Several years later, a friend of the historical interpreter had been at the site with her boyfriend. They were arguing. Once she looked up, she saw a figure of a woman upstairs in the Hallowell house. Later, she asked her friend to point out the window, and it was the same room when the interpreter heard the speaking years earlier. It was the master bedroom. So it seems that most of this, I don't have any other stories after this but there is a few more but it's I didn't really want to put them on because it had things of like mist and orbs and yeah, that's not I something like... I like to put out because you can't just go and say that's a ghost like that can no. be a flash of the camera that can be anything I don't it, really believe it, in orbs no I don't believe in mist and orbs at all yeah unless so... I see it with my own two eyes in like physical person yeah I would not... there was pictures and stuff I'm like no, no, that no, could no. be that's, a reflection that's a camera well yeah. like I know a lot of mist is like breath vapor mm-hmm. or even just like if it's been recently humid in the area a gust of wind will waft it up and like you might not be able to see it with the bare eye but a camera will pick it up so like that doesn't doesn't check out mm-hmm. yeah so those those ones had to do with the Hallowell house as well so it seems that mostly all the encounters or anything that anyone's ever reported is at the Hallowell House. Have you heard of any ghost stories? That was my question when I started. <laughs> yeah, well, one of our, like, the, suit, the supervisor of the site claims that she once saw a little boy sitting on a fence over there. Um, and there are a couple things because... So William Hallowell, his son died in an accident in the brewery when he was about seven. William Hallowell's wife died in the bedroom up there, so it's been fun uh. to there to turn the lights on. I don't know if too many stories. Anymore. You never experienced anything with your I don't think so. I tried to very, very <laughs> not think about that one. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> we are very happy to be opening houses together this morning. <laughs> Did you feel anything there, Dara? No, can I you, didn't. Can you explain that a little bit? No, I mean, like, it's I'm, not. We we talk about this a lot on this podcast, and I'm very much, I'm very much, as we've said, more on the historical side, and that's what I'm interested in more. So then, the, the ghost stories. Not that I, I'm not interested in the ghost stories, but I tend to err more on the skeptic side, and I. There's only been a handful of times over the course of this podcast that I've actually felt anything, and I did not feel anything here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I was very focused on our tour and looking at all of the, mostly the books yeah, in the rooms and stuff like that. But no, I didn't feel anything. I was just comfortable the entire time. I wanted mm-hmm. to stay there. I just wanted to fall asleep in the grass outside of the house. Yeah, even though Adara read this kind of morbid thing about how it was back then, now it's like a 
grassy, hilly fields oh, with lots beautiful. of trees and flowers. It's beautiful yeah, there. Yeah, we'll post photos on Instagram so you can see yeah. what it looks like today. And yeah. also, you should just go. But we, we, we also, I think we chose a good time to go because it's like, it's mid-spring or late spring. I don't know what time of year it is. It's spring, so yeah. all the flowers are like freshly in bloom, so it smells really nice and everything's yeah. lush and lovely. There was a monarch butterfly. Like it was it was very picturesque. Yeah, it's beautiful there. Yeah. Like, yeah, what as I said before, whenever <laughs> I don't mean to do this, but <laughs> whenever I'm on a tour a little bit, my brain will start to focus on other things. So Adara was very locked in on the tour and exactly what they're saying. But I was like, I'm recording this, so I'll be listening to it back. It's going to be fine. So like I kind of went out a little bit and that's what made me pay attention to the room a lot more. And again, I didn't go in having preconceived ideas. I didn't know which building was haunted. I had no idea. So when I was in there, I felt fine. Like in the in the kitchen, when we enter the kitchen, I'm like, oh, this is like, I'm not feeling anything here. Like I'm not feeling like, when we got on the site, nothing. Any of the other buildings we walked up to, nothing. So then I went into the kitchen. I was like, oh, I'm not really feeling anything. She's showing us, like, the parlor. And I was like, oh, like, whatever. And then we were going upstairs. And I started, it, it was, like, how we said before, how we've said in other episodes where it is, like, heaviness. And as Adara said, it can also be the weight of the history kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I don't really know if it's that, but it felt, like, very heavy. And as we were going into certain rooms, I started feeling, like, my head felt being compressed a little bit. It's just like this pressure in on my head, which is like odd because it doesn't just suddenly happen and then disappear. But as we were going into rooms, and I guess it must have been the master bedroom. I don't know. I'll have to listen back into it. But when we were, she started talking about the master, when we were going into one of the rooms, it felt, started feeling worse. And I was like more compression and more heaviness. And I was like, okay, like, you know, whatever. And then we were, we were walking away and I just felt there was something behind me, but like in the room still. So while we, while we were walking away, nothing felt like nothing was like behind me or walking behind me, but I just felt we entered a scene and then we left and there was nothing. It was like something was watching me from that area, but didn't follow us down the stairs. But that's how I felt but it felt it was nothing compared to other places we've been to it wasn't as intense as like the dawn jail when I went there or anything like that but none of it was sad energy really it was just felt like there was like an energy there that's all it felt like to me but yeah that that was a long one of the rooms had a copy of Ben-Hur not the movie the book what's Ben-Hur I'm not going to give you a literature lesson in the middle of our ghost podcast. <laughs> but yeah, Adair was very interested in... They had very interesting artifacts in there, which we'll insert into there. But I I, I personally have been to a lot of historical houses. I've never seen a, like a icebox fridge like that. I didn't see that That was before. really cool. Or the washing machine. I've never seen a washing machine like that before. So I was like, oh, I didn't even know they had that kind of stuff I liked, then. I liked the kitchens in every house we went into. Yeah. That was my favorite part in all of them. Yeah. Because I didn't really realize that they may have had versions of what we have now. Because I was like, oh, they just didn't have anything. <laughs> I also, I love the way they have the historical site set up. Because, like, the site itself branches across so many years of history. Mm-hmm. And they have three homes to work with. So they, they were able to give us, like, snapshots of three different types of life. In exactly. Different... So 
or a different level. So like the one house, like the one kitchen didn't have the icebox, but the other one did. And then in the later house, they had like a refrigerator. Yeah. Which was, and it's so, it was just really cool. Like, All houses fridge. had those metal bathtubs though. Yeah. Yeah. Because it didn't have the running water. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is interesting because then I'm, I'm guessing that's a class yeah. thing. Because and I also remember, probably location related. Yeah, location it's, too. It's also hard to get water places. Yeah, because I remember uh, John Howard had like, they had like a shower or something like mm-hmm. that. But that was, a maid would run up and down and pour water, <laughs> pour water <laughs> yeah. to the pipes. I was like, wow, that sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, guys, that's the end of our Yeah, that's episode. Todd Gordon. That was fun. It was fun. We have a, we have a, yeah, that was the end. And we have a few more queued up for you guys. Yeah, no idea what we're weeks. doing next. Yeah, we're not going to tell you what we're doing next, not because we're trying to be secret, it but because be we su- don't know which it's, one's going to pan out. Look, it's going to be a surprise <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like again, special thank you to Ethel and Jane for their little tour. That was lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we ended up being able to do that. And if you want to learn anything more about uh, Todd Morden or their tours or ours, I will include their website in the show notes as well. Please visit. Mm-hmm. Always go. Like yeah. a- I- again, if you're in the Toronto area, visit these places because they're they're worth seeing. Yeah, you need to. Go see these histories, yeah. and it didn't take us very long to go through the entire historical site, and it's lovely. It's yeah. beautiful, and I think there's a wildflower conservatory that's just right yeah. next to it. That there's you can trails go as well. Yeah, yeah, walking trails you can go, which is a uh, really nice to have a piece of that in the middle of Toronto. <laughs> yeah, even if you don't want to pay the money to do the tour, even though it doesn't cost very much, um, the yeah. site itself is really nice. Yeah, and it has little. It has little reading plaques that you can read around the site. There's some things in the audience say, I went to the site last year, okay? And on these on these plaques, usually when you see, like, historical little plaques telling you, like, what happened at this site and stuff like that, there was a button on there, and when you click the button, this old-time voice would come up, and there would be, like, historical music playing in the background, and you'd be like, welcome to Todd Morton Mills! And first of all, it scared me. Because it was so loud. But after that, I was like, wow, this is really cool. So every time I had a plaque, I would push the button. So when me and Adair went there and I went to push the button, none of the buttons worked. (laughs) I tried all the buttons. (laughs) She did. She tried every single button in that place. So I wanted to... I wanted to have some of that for you guys so you guys could hear it too, but it's not in there, so. I'm sure they will survive. Yeah. (laughs) No one's going to be emailing us saying, how dare you not include the audio from the panels? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, I was just going to say, it's a good thing, like, things like this, heritage sites like this and everything in Toronto, it's really good to put on a list for yourself of places that you can even visit just on your own. Mm -hmm. If you're a human that is struggling in the romantic side of things, like (laughs) I am, it's nice to kind of have these things that are available to just do on your own. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's true. It's still go, even if you're not, even if you're in a relationship. No, you can't. You're only allowed to go if you're single. Oh, I shouldn't have been allowed there then. That's why the buttons wouldn't work. I bet if I pushed a button... (laughs) This won't work for Kenzie because she doesn't deserve it. (laughs) She's not lonely, so I don't need to talk to her. Oh, God. Well, that's it for us. We will see you next week when we cover the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse. (laughs) 
it might actually be the Gilbert Arthur Point Lighthouse. Like, this is kind of a joke, but, like, not really, because we're coming up to that point now. No. Next week, <laughs> or in two weeks, our next episode will be the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse. Okay. And we'll see you then. No, we won't. You'll hear us then. <sighs> Any new listeners, if you, like, if you don't get what this means, you should go listen to all our other episodes. <laughs> I don't know how to end an episode. Yeah, but... I think our sign-off is see you next week when we cover the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse. Oh, gosh. We'll come up with something. Yeah. It'll come naturally at some point. Yeah. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Dead Men Don't Podcast is hosted by us, Adara and Kenzie. Original music has been provided by Ethan Reed. Find us on social media at Dead Men Don't Pod on Twitter, at Dead Men Don't Podcast on Instagram, Dead Men Don't Podcast on Facebook, and email us at deadmendontpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow our composer, Ethan, on Instagram at, at Ethan A. Reed. Find all of these links and more in the description. And if you enjoy listening to us scream about ghosts and aliens and bees, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. It helps us produce more shows just like this, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks, and stay spooky.